Welcome to The Best Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Bradley H. Werrell, and we're here to explore options and potentials to help us grow as individuals and as a community with one another in these difficult times and challenging times. We're exploring all manner of potentials related to the human experience, physical, psychological, medical, spiritual. It's a wonderful opportunity that we now experience in this critical phase of our human evolution. And I welcome you to join us in our podcast, become more aware and identify with people who are helpful and supportive of you in your efforts as a human being on this planet and elsewhere too. We're going to be meeting people who are doing things that are widely variant from what is so-called normal within our society. In the creative space, within the social space, our common purpose, seeking to generate positive potentials to improve the lives of everyone in our sphere of influence and to expand that sphere of influence so that we may positively influence others that are not yet engaged directly with us. That's the goal here. We will learn more about each other as we go. I wish you the very best. Thank you very much for tuning in. This is another episode of the Best Medicine Podcast with uh, me, Brad Werrell, as your host. And I've got with me today my nephew, Zachary Werrell, who's uh, just finished his second year of law school in University of Texas. Is that correct? That's it. So how'd you get there, Zach? Just tell the audience a little bit. Okay, so the elevator pitch here is I spent six years in the trenches as a political manager and consultant in Virginia. And I did some other races around the country, but uh, my main work was in Virginia. And I uh, probably my greatest hit, uh, one hit wonder type thing is Dave Bratt's victory over Eric Cantor in the 2014 congressional primary. Uh, never before, probably never again, will a sitting house majority leader ever lose a primary. Um, and so we did that and then I won three more congressional races and wanted to do something a little more uh, in line with my intellectual and academic interests than just making the same TV ads and internet ads about, oh, take out Obama, put Pelosi's face in, we're seeing it, you know, it's getting ugly. And then I, I actually was counter protesting the Nazis uh, in our own third party protest at Charlottesville because I lived there. Um, and we hated the guy who organized that thing. And um, I saw <laughs> the deterioration going on, the violence increasing. It's like, yeah, this is getting a little hot and the juice is not worth the squeeze. So <laughs> time to look for something else. Um, and uh, then I applied to law school because I've always had a deep abiding love of the law. And uh, I'm glad that I came because I loved I, it turns out I love the law more than I realized huh. That's when I started. So you tell them about the, uh, your background on undergraduate work, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So I went to little tiny liberal arts college in Philadelphia, Haverford College. Um, I not really on speaking terms with anyone at the institution because they slandered me in the, um, alumni magazine 
and then didn't even return a phone call from me. I've been featured in an earlier edition, first time candidates. Zach likes to do first time candidates. Let's just talk to him. No political editorialization, no crazy stuff, no. And they published stuff that said, oh, I'm a white supremacist sympathizer. I'm an anti-intellectual, hate the poor, all that stuff. And uh, didn't get a phone call back from them. Wow. Or I got one email response that says, let's talk. And then I tried to like follow up and nothing happened. But I studied economics and minored in political science at Bryn Mawr College, actually, the all women's school, because uh, Haverford didn't have a minor. Huh. And so I have a bachelor's in economics, a minor in political science, and then I'm working on my Juris Doctorate the University of Texas with a little interlude of political hackery and car salesmanship and a brief period with my other uncle pulling wire as an electrician. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So it's an interesting place we are at. It's like, um, you said that, you said that the, uh, the, the, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze that was in Charlottesville there. What does that mean? So, I mean, I was winning a bunch of races, like all of them and nothing was happening. And it's like, just not an efficient way for one person. It's not, that's not a one person type job. You know, it's like requires a whole thing. And it was like, it just wasn't hot enough and I wasn't getting paid. It was a bad, I had a bad business model that relied on uh, winning races instead of like you know, business considerations for the vendors and the consultants who have a vested interest in raising a bunch of money to spend on TV ads, which mm. is a reason why when you analyze uh, media purchases, paid media advertising, you have to exclude political campaigns from the analysis. This is the literature. This is not me. You have to exclude political campaigns because they are the only industry which is not only still heavily reliant on TV, but it's so disproportionately skewed to TV that they have to pull out political ads to run analysis of normal advertising. Because it's that abnormal? Because it's so grotesquely abnormal, the amount of money they spend on TV compared to digital and stuff. But it's because these big money buys are the source of funding for the consulting class. And that's how they run their businesses. And so. The incentive isn't to make the mail piece that costs 37 cents in, in production costs to only cost 37 cents. You know, it's five cents for the 35 cents for postage, two and a half cents to print it. Why am I getting billed $2.50 for this per piece? Right. Oh, because the consultant's got to make a buck, the, the vendor's got to make a buck, and they're going to pay the graphic artist the remaining, you know, 50. 64 cents or whatever the number was 63 and a half two and a half so there's a you're saying there's a large amount of um, just just a machine that the money money machine operating inside that uh in it's like an industrial base yeah it's like there's a, a large amount of <clears throat> momentum and uh yeah momentum and inertia in that system and there's not a lot of retrospective analysis because what happens is the person who wins, you know, usually it's like they weren't even following the plan that they had. They don't really like, you know, basically the rule 
and I, I didn't put it in, I'm working on a second book called The Rules of Politics. I don't title pending. I'm not that egotistical to make it world's rules, but it's just my friends like to call them my rules when I was doing it. So inside joke, subject to change. Anyway, making the juice worth the squeeze. And so it's, you know, it just got to a point where I was not, I did not want to become part of that business model. My business model was purely predicated on winning tight races. My business model was we'll worry about business after we win the primary, like no other objective, no other financial incentives. Like I'm all in on winning and I'm going to organize my campaigns in that manner. And so basically, you know, I didn't have a lot of consultant friends. I had one that really was on board with the whole thing and the program who had been in like Reagan's white house and stuff. So you were not professional with what you're saying. <laughs> the guys who were making the money and it's like, you know what I mean? It's like a, you just overly professional or, or, uh, uh, primarily that factor. You know what I'm saying? No, I do understand. It's like, it's like, uh, no, I'm about, um, I had a business model, but it's just not competitive long run against the vested interests. Right. That's not your profession is what you're saying. Right. So it might, might, another way to say that is I had an awful business plan. <laughs> it's like, it's like, yeah, they suck in that profession or something like that. It's just that, that was not your profession, man. It's, it's a weird, weird thing. It's like um, how, how people fit into the economic situation of the, 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 so, the so, social or economic structure. Right. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's like you, I, I imagine it like this, that you just didn't see yourself fitting into it. Well, the pro I didn't fit into it. Well, here, so some of the rules and world's rules here, we'll get to one of the big ones for staffers and operatives is activist or professional pick one. I'm an activist politically. I have, I want to, I want, it's not that I want me to achieve something, but I have visions, aspirations, uh, uh, principles, you know, these sorts of considerations. And that's what I want to get done. I don't want to make sure that my check from a client who's about to lose and is, and could better spend that money on a digital buy. Right. My thinking was officers eat last spend the budget and if there's money left over and we lose great if not well i failed and i tried my best right right that's interesting should i should i review the roster just so people kind of get a flavor of the types of people that would be interesting yeah so there's dave bratt who it, Basically, there's a recurring pattern here. Anyone who doesn't keep me on after I win them a big <laughs> ends up out of Congress within two cycles. But Dave Bratt, Tom Garrett, Congressman Tom Garrett, Congressman Denver Riggleman, and Congressman Ben Klein. So I did all of their startup. I built their campaigns from the ground up, basically, except for Garrett's. I inherited a total mess. And we managed to save it in time to win a convention that was really tight on the third ballot. Right. So... But what do you, you were saying they don't stay in if they don't keep you on? Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, this is me being egotistical and trying to make the universe about me. And I'm totally upfront about that. And it's so laden with sarcasm. But um, with the exception of Congressman Ben Klein, all of my clients who 
uh, hired my, got me to do the hard race, which in our system is the primary. Another one of my rules is you dance with the one who brung you. I heard that from the beginning. Politics is a nasty snake pit. And it's like, one of the things I was told before I realized what was going on, it was like, or one of the things I was told is you dance with the one who brung you. You dance with the one who brung you. And it's like, that's not how these people think. Politicians, I mean, they're just, it's not that they're bad people or whatever. They're just, when you declare for office, you lose 20 IQ points. That's a rule. And bad decisions get made and you suffer the consequences. Now, I'm not saying it's because of my absence they lost, right? That's an absurd uh, proposition. What I am saying is for my own ego's sake, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think Tom would be totally cool with me saying that he was a good one, the one good guy who was freaking loyal ended up getting hammered so bad, not literally, but the part, the party of people wanted him out and he had a major personal problem, which probably could have been dealt with without all of it. But basically he was forced to scream uncle um, because of the GOP establishment and his, the guy who replaced me on Denver's race was his chief of staff. And it took, you know, uh, I'm not saying that he was directly responsible for the leaked stories, but, uh, you know, hmm. all roads lead to Rome. Here's a question like this. So, so since you quit that business, right, you, 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 um, you were selling cars. <laughs> How long was that lasting? That is just not right, brother. You need a well, proper cup. Jesus. <laughs> no, I know. I like to joke that I went like, I've just been scraping on the bottom of the barrel. I went from politics to used car sales to uh, law. But um, no, so I, I quit in 2018 after the 2018 cycle. I was like, not interested anymore. Got to just make a clean break. When was uh, the Charlottesville thing? That was in 2017. So that was right after Tom Garrett. We got Tom Garrett in for the first time. And it was after I had done Denver's gubernatorial race, which we pulled out of the primary for, and then got him into Congress the next year. Um, so Charlottesville was that. What's after, that? After Charlottesville. You so after Charlottesville, I was pretty shaken and Denver's campaign, we, you know, we pulled out of the primary and I was like, I'm going to law school after Charlottesville. So I was like studying for the LSAT and all that. Um, meanwhile, I was pulling wire for Uncle Eric, driving up to Manassas every day, an hour and a half, be there at 6 a.m. Like right. I'm cool. and the sleep schedule actually has been like this momentum uh inertial type force in my life like i have not gone back to staying up late and waking up late like i've been a morning person ever since that experience huh. but then um as i'm studying for the lsat uh, i had a rule with my roommate if i say anything it'll have to be cut uh my roommate uh he's he's a nice guy let's put it that way um, and I had this rule while I was studying for the LSAT because like I paid for most of the apartment. So I got the downstairs off. Like, so I'm in the office, not really walled in, but it's like the office area. And the rule was if I'm there and not on Facebook or like not on YouTube or not goofing off on the screen, don't bother me because I'm taking a practice SAT. And so the test is coming up in a month and I'm sitting at the computer and I hear my roommate who's partially dead or basically completely deaf so he's like got volume problems he's running down the stairs Zach Zach holy crap like a little and he I knew what, what he was up to and I said let me guess Congressman Goodlatte has uh, resigned and your client Ben Klein is 
about to declare for office, like, okay, fine, let me turn this off. And we got the campaign going within 30 minutes. Uh, and then I neglected to study for the LSAT any longer. Uh, took the test in the throes of running Ben Klein's convention and a Senate, statewide Senate primary. And then the Tom Garrett stuff blew apart. So then I had to do Denver. So I did three, I was doing three big races um, and won two of them and was supposed to lose the Senate primary by like 30, 40 points. They were calling our donors and saying, stop the attacks. Like he's going to win and you guys are damaging him going into the into the general. It's like, you're wrong. Stop calling my donors and we're going to win this freaking thing. And you're going to be calling me, asking me how we did it. Um, and then we lost by freaking 0.2 percentage points. Oh. We got Fairfaxed. Um, That's Fairfax. So <laughs> this is, it, it only took me one cycle to realize that this was a thing, but it seems to take most Republicans in Virginia uh, either a lifetime or potentially longer because nobody seems to understand it yet. It doesn't matter how good it looks going into 10, 30, 11 o'clock on election night for the Republicans, you're going to be up, but guess what? Fairfax County is still oh. up. Fairfax County is a gigantic blue county. So everyone's like, oh my God, we're going to do it. Like they're screaming and everyone's excited. I'm the asshole in the back, just like, mm. right. Pop those balloons, guys, and put the champagne away because you're not even going to be within recount territory. You're going to lose by seven points. Oh, and there you go. Oh, that's just late returns, late returning county. Mm -hmm. Big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strange world, huh? So then you, you, uh, you were, you were working hmm, car sales. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was like, screw this, and I. How long were you out of politics before you, you know, before you went to law school? Um. So July, so eight months. I didn't think it was a year. It's not, I thought it was less than a year. Yeah, and so I like. It was like January and it's like, I'm starting, you know, I'm going to be getting off. And so it's like, I need to get work done. I need to pay my bills and stuff. And so I happen to know someone who owns a dealership or his family owns a dealership. He's like 45. He was like with Tom Garrett, Central Virginia. And I lived in Charlottesville and he owned a dealership out in Orange, which is like a 35, 40 minute drive. I was a little north of Charlottesville. So it wasn't, you know, an hour. Um, and I was like, hey man, I will literally scrub toilets. I will rearrange papers. I will dig ditches out back. Like I just need a job. Right. He's like, want to sell cars? I was like, what? It's like, yeah, it's like not at all actually, but I will. <laughs> like, uh, okay. And so it's just, it, it's Reynolds GMC Subaru. Um, at least. And there's, no, there's no, um, there's no financial attachments here. There's no uh, interest. We have no interest in that business. No, or anybody no. who just just for the knowledge of the base of the uh, viewer, right? But if you do end up in Reynolds GM Subaru, tell them Zach sent you the finance <laughs> you off. Get your, get your spin. <laughs> I'll get I'll get a hundred dollar bird dog fee. So <laughs> tell them Zach World sent you from the Best Medicine Podcast. That's right, man. Yeah, but that was fun. I got to. It was, um, you know, I'm, I was used to like a high stress, chaotic environment. For the political stuff and this was similar in some respects it's fast there's a lot of action but then there's a lot of downtime too and it was like i was forced to like i went door knocking on political campaigns like three times i hate it i hate knocking on doors i, right. I just aversion to bugging people 
Like, even though I'm quite extroverted, it seems I'm actually quite shy as well. Right. So it's like, I just never like door knocking and I freaking hate phone calls. Um, <laughs> and so even when I was doing it in politics, it's like, yeah, this is way below my pay grade, not doing it. But then it was in the car sales. It was like, you have to do it or you will not get customers, right? Like some customers come, but there's a lot of, you have to like make hundreds of calls a day, oh. three to the same person often, but it's like, it's just a numbers game. Right. And so I had to get through my fear and like anxiety around bugging people. It's like, well, they were technically on the car website, I guess. Um, and then what I found was basically people were just sharp and defensive and didn't want to do it because they were overloaded. But if you were able to just break through the um, mechanical bullshit in the relationship yeah. on the car website because they want to buy a car. And they don't want it to be a pain in the ass and they don't know what they're doing. So it's like, that's right. That's right. It's a, you're actually providing the service and it's like, um, it's just a matter of, uh, yeah, there's like this, uh, emotional hurdle, which is like, you're calling someone you don't know who's likely to have an adverse reaction to your presence. It's like, yeah, it's like, wow. It's like <clears throat> starting out kind of rough. <laughs> it's just a rough start. Yeah. So I did that for a few months and they had me on some special programs. So I wouldn't starve. Um, but they got to keep some of my, what would have been my, you know, commissions, but they gave me a floor. And then by, I was the number one super salesman in the store the last month before I left. So that was cool. Boy, <laughs> did they give you a badge or something? I did. I think I still have my Subaru shirt that I was not supposed to take home, but. We have to cut that part out too. The distinction between professionalism and, uh, and activism, because I, I tend to be, more of an activist type too. And I, I have the same sentimentality as you do with regard to intuitions about the behavior of people in, in the situation, which is I'm more about uh, results than uh, taking care of my professional interests, which is not very, not very intelligent, to be honest. I, I don't regard it as a particularly smart way to play. And it's like, uh, the issue is, 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 you know, what's best for, what's best for the social environment, or I guess is the, how am I adding value to this society? What's the best way for me to add value and, and enriching myself is not high up on the list. Unfortunately, it doesn't, it doesn't advance society very quickly. So it's like the, 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 the action that occurs as a result of my behaviors is more interesting to me than the, than the, um, the, the following the professional dictums, the, the money falling into my pocket, which is like, man, that is not a smart way to play, but it's like, <laughs> it is just not smart, man. It's like, I, it, it, as I've been told by multiple ex-girlfriends, you just care too much. I got nothing to say. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna comment on ex-girlfriends, man. It's like, it's like I, I, I understand. I don't. I yeah. Wait. I, I won't comment about it because your mom says the same damn thing, doesn't she? <laughs> Which is quite an interesting little. What a fat. I like a character flaw. Sounds right? like just a total coincidence. It sounds like a character flaw. I don't know. I just just saying. I'm like, like, what's that mean? Care too much, man. Like. How, what am I? How do you not like, what care does that mean? like a binary? Either you care or you don't care. Oh, there's an interesting <laughs> premise. It's not on a spectrum. <laughs> like, you sure you can change the intensity of your care 
but you're either apathetic or you're not. Oh, and it's like, and it's like, yes, I, I get excited and passionate because I love ideas and I love people and I love debate and I love figuring out what's right and wrong. And I love like really getting into the, like, why do you think this? Why do I think this? Like I, one of my favorite things to do online is to just watch debates. Really? I, I just love watch. They don't really do any long form debates anymore. Unfortunately, it's more discussions now with like-minded folks. There's less like adversarial style debating, but like you watch YouTube about, you know, after about five or seven years in the past, yeah. there's a lot more debate type content. Well, I don't, maybe that's reflecting the polarization of our society, which is to say we, we, yeah. we don't, we just uh, compartmentalize into our little silos, right? And, and don't mix with the other team because it's like too irritating. Which is it's 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 uh, systemic, societal, social. I mean, just in every every adjective and uh, descriptor and predicate you can put before it, it is a giant cluster in any regard. Well, it's like it is. It's like uh, it's 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 troubling because it's like the the issue is this. It's like you're you're. you're you're not able to enter into conversations because it becomes too heated too quickly, right? And it's like the 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 the, the, the it's it's beyond disagreeable, right? Because it's like I don't merely disagree with you. I am passionate about my disagreement because you are you are like your demon, right? Right. It's like I see this all the time with uh, you know acquaintances and even family sometimes or whatever. It's that they they take uh an intellectual position about the logic of something or the rightness or wrongness or like you said it's like kind of socratic in an effect uh and then they the assumption is that i'm denying for example the existence of transgender people or you hate the poor people or you know you hate black people it's like no no, no. what are you talking about i'm trying to decide whether passing this type of legislation after five years has a positive or negative effect on the stated end. Saying that this is causing worse results doesn't mean I hate the people it's trying to help. Right. Just, I'm looking at the situation and going, cause, effect, right. effect, right. bad, cause, didn't do what it was supposed to. <clears throat> it's not a, that's not a judgment on the existence of anybody. It's not personal. It's like, none of us have a fully uh, no person's moral or intellectual system is free of uh, subjective. That's right. Biases. Biases or whatever. I don't like bias is too strong. It's like human beings just have different temperature settings. It's like, on their like moral your values. You know, like your, your preferences, right? Mm -hmm. and that's it's like. Um, that's interesting because it's like the it to me there's 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 isn't isn't and should and shouldn't and they're two different axes. Right, I say isn't ought. That's it. That's it. That's the two different axes, and it's like the 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 ought is a preference. It's like a it's like a election, you know, an elective function. You get to choose what you prefer, and and it's like the 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 argument over what is actually occurring is the is the thing, and 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 it is a. Um, it's a funny thing, but strongly emotionally attached to their viewpoint to the point where they cannot discuss something rationally. 
Does that well, make sense? I mean, cause is, is, all right. So what happens a lot of the time, and it's not just one side or the other left or right. It's like people have a very hard time differentiating between is's and oughts. And a lot of times pre people present oughts as is's, and sometimes people present is's as oughts. And sometimes an is can be an ought or vice versa, but people generally have a hard time. Well, I just want to make I want to make it clear for the audience that is and isn't is what actuality, factual nature, what is in fact. Exists. Like, for example, I can just I'll put it in a very polarizing and easy to understand terms. And okay. is would be a question of when does life begin and ought is when can we terminate the pregnancy? Those are two different questions, but they bear in on the same question. But so, so I, I could regard it as a, a the ought as a moral axis. It's what. Yeah. And your pre, your it's not so much preference as a, as your your uh, intuitions will guide you in that regard, right? Right. But is and isn't is a uh, factual and provable and in not it's intersubjectively verifiable how about that whereas right. whereas your is, is subjectively uh independent function yes and so people will confuse someone saying this is the way the word works or whatever this is what the word means and then they take that to mean an ought because of the necessary logical consequences or whatever it's like I'm not making the ought claim. I am just making a factual description. And if that if that affects your views of the oughts or you know whatever, that's on you. But it's not it's not a problem with me. It's not that I'm a bad person. It's describing the is. Now, there are times where ises and oughts get confused. For example, if you say the free market is the best <laughs> system. That is not a proper is. That's an ought. Yes. Now you could you could try to make an abstracted case that it's an an is, but that's not eminently provable. Otherwise, it would be not under dispute like gravity. There's it's just not the methodological tools to measure economic systems, all that stuff. You just can't. You, there's no way to definitively prove like, you know, uh, testing the voltage in your right outlet. It's not, it's not simple. It's not simple. And it's like, the so the, the, the interesting function there is like, the, I run into this argument with regard to economics. Um, people blame capitalism and it is like, it's too, it's too inflated of a term because it's like, <clears throat> What they call capitalism is crony capitalism or something else. They, they're, they're, it's not. It's legalized. It's, it's too big of a snowball. It's dirty snowball. Right. It's like so. This is it's you. It's a category mistake almost. It's like, you know, it's like lumping all the ills of society into a question of distribution of ownership is first of all overly simplistic. Dovetailing on that is a univariate regression trying to answer a multivariate problem and is uh, confusing a quality with a, uh, a subset of a quality sort of that they then extend to the whole.
So it's like you say capitalism, that's capitalist and it's bad. Well, it's like, well, there's elements of capitalism in there for sure, but to say it is capitalism and therefore is bad, you know, it's like, um, I'm almost arguing like the no true Scotsman fallacy here, but it's, I'm taking it from a analytical perspective and not arguing, you know, against myself. So I, you know, the no true Scotsman is, well, that's not capitalism because no true, you know, no true Scotsman plays golf wearing britches, they wear kilts and he's wearing a britch so he can't be Scottish. Well, who are you to define a true Scotsman? But anyway, the point of it is um, you get these people who inappropriately, uh, it's like a, it's a permutation of ideology too, but it's like they break complicated systems down into univariate causal mechanisms and then ascribe the negative outcomes of the entire system to that uni- mm. that one chunk, one uh you know, uh, partial aspect of the system. I and what I think over extrapolate it out to the rest. I think it's like this. It's like it's like uh, actually these people are are uh, they they're feigning thought on the subject. They're not actually thinking about it, and they're not interested in doing the work to achieve. And they are it's it's see it's like it satisfies their intuition, which is you're wrong, I'm right, and. Um, and I have a, a what looks like an argument enough to me to uh, satisfy my need to present some pseudo logical uh, reasoning and might well be logical. Well, it's okay, but it goes like this. It goes like this is like uh, it allows me to vilify you and to uh, maintain the the illusion that I'm right and and you're an evil demon guy or something like that. Right. Well, and it's a, it's a, it's not necessary. I mean, they're hoping to get to my elephant. So to for another metaphor to illustrate to understand, John Haidt uh, conceptualizes consciousness and the you know lizard brain, uh, the forebrain and the lizard brain being arranged with the lizard brain as an elephant and the forebrain as a rider, and the rider of an elephant is obviously very small and like seems to be in control, so long as the elephant is cooperating. Um, and it doesn't matter how well you argue with the rider if the elephant is running around town, you know flipping over school buses and all sorts of stuff, no amount of communication of any sort is going to be able to affect that. And so that's sort of the rational and emotional brain relationship, which I I subscribe to, I think it's generally right. Um, And so that sort of appeal where they say it's a bad person, that's kind of a lazy way to uh, get elephants in the crowd on your side against the person. Oh. So it's recruiting the audience. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's interesting. So I, I was ha- I have conversations on a weekly basis, roughly, with a neighbor of mine that sat next to me in med school, and it's like, um, it's like that. If I see him getting too riled up, we just I will avoid the subject. I'm not going to do it, right? Because we don't have an audience. I told him we want to record that because it's <laughs> funny, to, funny, but whatever. It's like it's like no, nope, we're not talking about that because you're getting too wound up. I'm not going to do it, right? And it's like. And I just will refuse to talk about certain things. And it's like, it's okay. He refused to listen to me talk about certain things too because he, he, he senses himself getting riled up and it's okay. It's okay, I suppose. And it's like, because it's like, what's your, the, the, like in any particular interaction, what is the outcome you're seeking to, like an activist, right? What is the activity? What is the purpose of the activity, right? And so it's like, no uh, emergency. I'm not, I, I'm in this for the long haul to try to um, make the world a better place. 
And it's like, what's the, what is the goal of any particular interaction, right? And it's like, uh, I'm getting you riled up is not helping me. It's not going to help anybody. It's just going to rub everybody's fur the wrong way. And we're going to leave it with a bad taste in our mouth. And there's mind. no audience here. So that's like, you're, you're irritating my elephant and there's no, huh. there's no, there's no end game here. There's no juice on the other end of the squeeze. I see. I see. I see. So it's just bad, you know, and, and everybody does this, you know, so it's not uniquely bad on your neighbor. It's just an interesting, uh, sociological phenomenon that becoming more and more true the more and more time I spend on this earth what do you mean by that that it's as much as we like to pretend that everything is hyper logical or could be hyper logical oh it, it's yeah. not yeah no it's it, even it's logical like, people have uh you know they're even like completely uh fact-based and systematic thinkers or whatever like there's going to be human variability built into their their wet work that's right it's sloppy so human beings are sloppy creatures man it's just it is just a mess and it's like okay how do how do we make this work and it's like make it match well enough so that they don't go crazy right and it's like the, the so i kind of like this is um the the entire function is is uh, intuitive okay so that we can cooperate and not be thinking too much because it's too much work to thinking is hard work. It takes like, you know, you have to you, you, learning. It requires a lot of nervous activity and nervous tissue is expensive to operate and maintain. And so it's like, it's like, it takes too much effort to think about what's going on. We don't want to operate that way. We want to go into a situation that's very predictable and, and be able to determine that everybody's operating within normal parameters and we don't have to think, we go get our coffee at the convenience store and come out and nobody got hurt, right? We didn't have to get into a tussle with the owner whether or not I was wearing and my mask. The or coffee not. was there. The guy who had to make the coffee did it. Like there were cups, there was, a, the door store was open, the electricity was on, the internet was working so you could take the debit card payment, like. Right, and they accept the currency that I'm offering. And right. <laughs> just all these things that we don't think about. We don't want to think about this stuff. So, cause it's like this, uh, it's, it's funny because because it's like as long as everybody's operating within your parameters, you don't think your mind is doing other stuff. There's and less like, loss. What's that? There's less loss. That's right. But it's like as soon as someone does something funny, you know, that's like, whoa, what is going on here? Like, what is that guy doing? Now your attention is focused and the efficiency of the operation is lost. It's like, whoa, what is that guy doing? And then everybody renegotiates in their mind, right? Like, how do I make it through this? Cause I just want to get the doors over there. Shit. It's on the other side of that crazy man. <laughs> just right. And so, so that's expensive way to live your life, man. You can't do it. Cause it's like, there's too many little transactions that are occurring all the time with people and how do we make it smooth and, and seamless, which is like, so that's, I guess the, the, the cooperation proper social engagement is frictionless right uh, optimal theoretically optimal social interaction would be frictionless in that right regard. because it's like we're, we're 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 making exchanges we're trading and we're just doing this the social interaction is is very uh like formal simple 
it's con it's preemptive conflict resolution. Right. We've already resolved these conflicts like th two thousand years ago, maybe. Right. And it's like we don't do that. We don't. We just do the trade and we're good. But it's like that. This uh, this is interesting because it's like what has been done is the normalization of 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 of, of intentional non cooperative activism by uh, people who are alienated by intent, in my opinion. They're alienated from the social situation because of some other situation. They're, they're being granted license to uh, act up, out, out, right? And, and to make, a, make it non-cooperative. But you see the people getting yelled at at the restaurant, like, whoa, man, don't yell at me when I'm trying to have dinner with my wife, right? It's rude. <clears throat> and it's like, but it's normalization of this type of antisocial behavior. And it's like, it's, it's troubling to me because it's like, it, 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 that can't end well. It can no. only, it can, it can just end, but persistence in that course of action will not end well. It's not, this is gonna be problematic because it's like you're preventing people from functioning in, a, in, a, in their social environment and you're intentionally disturbing them. It's like there's stages of conflict resolution. So there's preemptive conflict resolution, which is acquired by rules, society, custom, language, whatever. It's like, yeah. uh, and then there's the next stage is resorting to language, direct language, direct confrontation of the problem using the tool of language to try to resolve the conflict. And then where that fails, that's where force enters. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like, I, call, I would say this is interesting to parsing it out, but it's like, uh, so there's normative, there's no conflict, normative behavioral uh, pre-resolution has been, this is a solved problem. It's not, it's not a problem. Then, um, then there's, you call verbalism, I call civil, civil resolution, right? And then there's extra verbal. <laughs> no, like like uh, like physical resolution of conflict resolution by non-civil means, right? And it's right, like yeah. you, at first the rules say don't sleep in somebody else's house that's not yours. Then you say, hey, can you get out of my house? And then if they don't, you have to call the cops to have them removed and arrested physically. I, that's still uh, yes, that's that's that falls within civil. However, still right. <clears throat> sure. And then if the cops don't show up, then you take a shotgun to their head or whatever. Oh my. I don't know what's happening out there. I live in my ivory tower, cloistered from the world. <laughs> Just awful. Just awful. It's like this. So it's like, well, it's like, it is, it's troubling because it's like, um, it's interesting. It, you know, um, it is an interesting situation. We're, we're in this ticklish situation, which is like the, 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 I had this conversation with my, my neighbor and other people too that don't agree with me. And I said, we've been discussing these matters for uh, years, like decades even. And um, we have yet to resolve any social um, matters and what we agree on little, okay? Or we disagree on much, okay? And it's like this, it's like I said, there must be a theory in your mind, which is to say, you have to have a theory in your mind as to how I can be so consistently wrong, <laughs> right? And so um, I asked that question to my wife, right? And she said, 
what's your theory about me? She's smart, man. She's sharp. And, and so she says, I said, I said, uh, well intended, bad information. She didn't answer what her theory for me was. She goes, how do you know it was me that's, how do you know it's me that has bad information? <laughs> I said, that was excellent too, right? And it's like, it's an interesting question. And it's like, well, th this is, that's a, that's a fair, fair question. I think it's totally fair. Right. And it's like the, the issue is, um, I honestly don't, I, I, well intended has to do with intuition. Right. And it's like the, the, your intentionality like is driven by intuition, like what's right. I think everybody is doing what they think is right. Sure. Even even like criminals think that they they have some justification. They always have. There's always an excuse. That's right. For reason. So, right. That's it. And it's like I don't I don't think that anybody is. Well, I, with with exceptions, of course, I, I think that um, the you know the 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 lump of of people. There's always going to be details of the of the um, distribution, but the. Uh, the lump of people are well-intended and they're not trying to cause harm. Okay. There are always going to be those that are intent on just there's nihilistic breaking things. Right. There's and always malevolence in a human system. That's right. But it is. So the, the, the activism part of me is like, this is like, how do we, how do we make this work better and uh, prevent the, uh, or let's keep the, keep the conflict resolution within civil bounds. Right. That's what that's the law, right? And and it's like that's what's interesting to me, which I didn't expect to come to this conclusion, but it's doing the other work that I'm doing, which is uh, related to uh, science and then application of science to the law, so that we can know what to do in circumstances that's intersubjectively verifiable, so that we, everybody can be satisfied as to what is really going on, and that we're being civil with one another and achieving the goals for us individually. And then as a society or as a group moving forward into the future that is beneficial to everybody, optimally beneficial, I suppose. It might not shake out that every situation is properly adjudicated or whatever, or is perfectly fair, but so long as there remains uh, an intuition that the system of civil resolution itself is writ large fair, then it will maintain that. Well, otherwise uh, we, we, we break into pieces that have to have um, non-civil conflict or we just break into pieces. And, and one of the, this is kind of interesting because it's like the, 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 the function of it, it appears to be that the, the, the units, the units of governance are too large. And so it's like you can't you, 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 you the the disparities between small subgroups within the larger polity are are um, so different that it's like just let them do their own thing. That's not the same as what we're doing over here because we don't want to have a uniform rule because it doesn't work. The uniformity and that's like this is what my objection is to the um to the left, I suppose. And it's like with all due respect, okay, which is that they seem to be universalist in their intentionality, which is that they want to. They want to make one rule to run ring to rule them all, right? And it's like, that's rude. It doesn't work. You need to have this smaller, like this federal system where you have small places that can do things within some wide net parameters that, that are acceptable 
as an entirety, but with variation among the locations. And this is a crass and potentially offensive oversimplification. So apologies. To oh my God. It's a, you just gave yourself a warranty to do anything, man. Okay, go. With all due respect, <laughs> it's, all um, good. it's like basically that I would largely categorize the breakdown uh, like this. Uh, a person on the left who does not, not like guns and doesn't want them in their life wants to ban them. So nobody has guns. And the conservative or person on the right would say don't buy a gun they would just say i don't, I don't like guns i'm not going to buy a gun so it's like that's obviously crude and not entirely accurate or whatever but it, it it's a it's a way to conceptualize the way of thought and so it's like uh i mean the right will have its own things like that to you know abortion or whatever um but or you could make the argument uh but generally speaking it seems like there's one mode of behavior that's acceptable. There's no pluralism. There's no uh, multi, there's no uh, experimentation. There's no diversity re in reality, which is incredible. The, the people who are, you know, most passionate for diversity are the most totalitarian thinkers that exist right now. It's just a horrible irony. It's interesting. So, so, yeah, so the the it looks to me like the 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 way forward here is going to be this this uh, devolution of power from a central to uh, local. That's what I think is going to happen, and I think that's okay. And I, I I I I think that's the best civil solution to the 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 complex issues that are being presented. You know the and I don't know what that looks like. You know, it's like in, in the context of the global situation, it's like they're trying to uh, they're trying to create uh, international uh, fears so that we to maintain the integrity of the central power of the United States. They're, they're trying to build up enemies to act as a threat to uh, justify the centralization of authority in the Unless it's the Chinese Communist Party covering up, you know, right. COVID and our own systems of government literally spreading a conspiracy theory that it was came from bats 2000 kilometers away with no intermediate host species. But hey, I just read, you know, the literature and have a basic understanding of statistics. So clearly I'm a racist. <laughs> and somehow the Chinese Communist Party covering up this is less racist than saying it came from eating bats. What's more racist? The Chinese, com like saying that China has a communist party that puts out propaganda or that Chinese people caused the plague by eating bats. Which one is more racist? I'm not, I'm not here to, Democrats. I'm not here to judge racism. I just go like this. It's like, okay, what's that mean? Well, I don't know. It's like, I, I don't know. So it's like this is like an interesting moment in in our United States history, which is that we're like, why do we keep losing? Who's we? The U.S. and the conservatives. How do we keep oh. losing this stuff? Oh, you know, I don't. Everything I say will be wrong, so I won't say anything at the moment. No, I don't. I'm not convinced we're losing. Okay, I, I'm I'm convinced that that everything is working out the way it's supposed to work out. Okay, I have. 
ultimate uh, faith in the outcome of the contest, which is to say, it's like, okay, it does it looks all sloppy and messed up right now and everybody's confused. And it's like, I say, like I say, it's an interesting moment that um, the Chinese- I would say that I, I myopically describe it as not as losing, but it's just straight up abdicating the field. The conservatives and everybody just don't fight and then they whine that everything's being taken over. Okay, so it's like this. Like I say, everything is working out the way it should be because it's galvanizing you uh, a sort of activism that is uh, will lend itself toward uh, victory in the end, right? And that's okay. It's just par for the course, man. That's just where we're at, which is the Chinese word for crisis is said to be, since I don't speak Chinese or read Chinese, it's made of two characters, danger and opportunity. And that's that describes where we're at. Which crisis is like, it's, this, it's the same as like in a um, cathedral, the, 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 the central location in the cathedral where the, the arms of the building cross is, is where the, the action takes place, you know, where they give the, the, um, the offerings. And so, so it's like, that's where we're at. It's like at the crossroads, a crisis. And it's like, we're, we're, we're having to choose which road we're going to leave. How do we get out of this mess? We have to choose and we have to be careful how we choose. And it's like, what's interesting is it, it, it unless, and it kind of comes down to, but we'll go back to the convenience store trying to buy coffee and the guy's acting funny, right? It's like, how am I negotiating this mess, right? And so it's like, it's a negotiation. It's like, how do I, how are we gonna arrange that everybody gets out of this in one piece and hopefully I get my coffee, but maybe <laughs> right? too hot. And, right? and nobody's chasing me. <laughs> right. Right. And I, I and and I actually get to drink my coffee in peace and get, go back to wh wherever I'm going with minimal delay, right? At minimal cost. And that's a negotiable, it's all negotiable, right? And it's okay. But it is, it's it's it, unless you're challenged, you're not negotiating. You're not, we're just not negotiating because it's just normal, right? And it's not, it, this is so not normal. Like, like in, a, in amazing to me, it is like, like the, um, the, 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 I will call it something like weirding because it is like, uh, when I was a kid, man, I was like, it's 1976. I remember 1976 because I got out of um, elementary school in 1976 out of seventh grade. And it was like, it was just wonderful to be an American. And I was so happy to be an American. And it's like, this just looks so golden future. And it's like, man, now it is just like, whatever went sideways, man. It's weird. It's like gone all sour or something. And it's like, you know, fermenting up something wicked. And it's like, well, okay, now what? let's negotiate this. Cause it's like, this is gone. This is so sideways. And it's like unexpectedly and quickly and it's like, I know it happened like, it seems like since the 90s. I don't know what your, your experience is different because you're so much younger than me, but you know what I mean? Because it's like, I mean, I, my, I, when did you get out of college? 2013. My, I was 10, I was in fifth grade with 9 11. Okay. And so it's like, I did, I, I have some conceptualization of the world before them, but not really a truly, you know, right. With these with this set of eyes and my experiences um and so yeah it's like i i just was like bang it was war and then it was 
the end of Bush with the depression and then it was the malaise of Obama and it's then Trump comes and yeah, yeah that's the yeah. sideways that's when it really went fast sideways because it's like so because my my impression was I was under the impression before 9-11 so um 2000 there was a pre I had a premonition of some something was coming like this and it's like the that thing went weird and then it the response was just wrong and it's like they were looking for they're looking for weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and they failed to come up with any they didn't even fake like they found them and I'm like man this is just not right it's just not right it's like so they're they're brewing up this cauldron of mess in the Middle East and 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 the the Benghazi affair right right and then it's like and that was still it was still pretty normal but it was definitely weird okay but but then it then then broke at that uh 2016 election i, th I think one of the biggest uh most poignantly illustrative happenings is like literally fauci and the american bu medical bureaucracy actively spreading a freaking conspiracy theory i don't see it's like i I'm not trying to be accusatory in that way. And I absolutely don't know anywhere near enough to make any sort of medical or scientific prognostication. But uh, Occam's razor says that usually the simplest explanation that explains the most things is right. No intermediate species, no evidence. First cases, probably from the lab, uh, uh, spliced spikes. No, nat no natural evolutionary paths, no animal hosts, like it's like it's, it's, it's interesting because it's like this, I find this, I, I'm not interested in it because I see what you're saying and I'm, I'm willing to agree with the premise of it. And I'm, I, I, I just, I'm a, I'm a doctor, okay? And it's isn't, isn't. And it's, it's it, it, we have a problem here and I deal with the problem. It, and I, I could be wrong. It might not. No, no, I'm, I'm, not I'm not. We're taking I'm, the side of the Chinese Communist Party in the propaganda instead no, I, of saying we should actually investigate. No, I understand. Trying to be damned if you did. Like, I, I know, but it's like it's like this. It's like so. I, I'm not arguing with you, and I'm like, it's like I, I find the question to be very fairly uninteresting. To to be honest, it's like um, a, a government official lied to me. Oh, <laughs> right. And it's like so. My my sense of the of the uh, propriety of the agencies of the federal government has gone so low that that it's like this it's all broken everything is broken and it's like it's like so it's like this it's like that it that this is broken too it's just like yeah it's all broken that i don't have faith in the justice system to to mete out justice properly it's like it's like i don't know if you um read martin armstrong's recent bit I showed you, I sent you the video from our Armstrong. He's talking about the 9-11 thing and, 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 and his detailed litany of, of the way he was treated by the justice system in New York. Is and it's like assets in that building or something, right? What happened was um, building seven. He had his he assets. Was, no, no, this is interesting. So they, they the uh, Martin Armstrong is, a uh, um, uh, this is for the audience. The Martin Armstrong is a trader. He, uh, T-R-A-D-E-R. And he, um, he invented the yen carry trade and he was borrowing money in Japan yen and then turning them into dollars buying um treasury bills and making a ton of money 
So he had a billion dollars that he was moving around, right? In the bank and the bank stole the money. And then they accused him of crimes that they, they, they didn't even accuse him of crimes. They kept him in jail because they wanted to get his computer, which is artificial intelligence program. Socrates is his name. And they kept him in jail for seven years on contempt of court until he, he um, was able to uh, cause the Supreme Court to want to hear the case. And as soon as that happened, they let him go. What they, they try, he, he alleges that someone, that they attempted to have him killed by a, another inmate and oh. he ended up in the, in coma for a while, right? And so, so anyway, among the things they did, they collected, he had evidence about all the illegal activities of the bankers and they, they subpoenaed that and they kept it in building seven. Oh, which also stored in the SEC offices there, the Enron investigation, for those of you who are in the know from the early part of this century. I was too young. Yeah, yeah. But it's like the Enron investigation materials were all in there too. Wait, so building seven goes and now there's no evidence. All gone. Whoop. Never let a crisis go to waste. Right? Wait, also, it's, this is also noteworthy, which is the, 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 the part of the Pentagon that was destroyed was where they were investigating the $2.3 trillion that were unaccounted for in the Pentagon's budget. Like Rumsfeld or whatever. Rumsfeld out. talked about it like the day before. Oops, all gone. <laughs> well, I think regardless of any deeper uh, connotations of that event, it's like we know that people lie and the, and the agencies have a vested interest and the government, we know, I mean, there's class, how much classified information is there? It's like, you know, that we can't access as civilians. And it's like, they can kind of say whatever they want. And it's like, I'm not saying that we're like North Korea or whatever, but it's like, um, you know, like hmm. controls of information, whether direct and intentional or subtle and uh, uh, under the radar, they still have effects. And so, you know, I, I had this discussion, let's put it on Trump again. And what, so I was there at the Charlottesville thing and I was dealing with the national press and stuff and coming up with the media strategy and, and in communication with the white house about all this and um, the, the both sides comments. So Trump said there are good people on both sides. He's referring to the fact that there were a lot of local people who didn't know who Jason Kessler was or what the traditionalist worker party was. They were told it's about a statue. And so there were a lot of like normal people from Charlottesville who just were like, don't tear down the statue. And then there were the outside interlopers. Right. Um, and so Trump says there were good people on both sides, referring to like the normal people who were there who had no intention or desire to be associated with any of those Cretans who ended up ruining the day and taking the lives of people and stuff. Right. Uh, but he said, someone says, are you talking about the white supremacists? He goes, no, I'm not talking about them literally the next words out of his mouth. Right. And so uh, I show this to people who I care about, who believe that Donald Trump said that the white supremacists were good people. And I make them right. watch the actual clip and Donald Trump said the exact opposite. Right, of the contention. Of, of what they believed he had said. And I saw him say it. I know right. that he said it. Right, so the, what did the, what's the response then? Uh, usually it's, Either that's an isolated incident, or I know that this happens, or shut down the conversation. Well, that's it's, the options. There's like three options, right? You've right. been lied to. You're being lied to, right. bombarded with lies. Right. 
Right. Not this just is, like this is, shapes this is, of truth. This is my point. Now, this is where I say it's like the 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 the, the institutions have demonstrated their them to be faithless. Uh, specifically, the media, specific even the and I I pointed at the um uh, the 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 governmental agencies. And I, I have no confidence in them either. It's like this just they they just don't do their job. And it's like the media not doing their job. And it's bad information is being propagated through the, the system. Yeah, so it is. So the, the interesting function here is like this is like uh, is it's like negotiation. It's like how do we how do we work this out? Because it's like the emotionality is too high, right? We have, a, we have an emotional problem because it's like if I, if I blow the person up that I'm talking to, you're, you're not going to convince that person of anything. I'm not even going to try. I'm not interested in even trying. I don't care. I don't care about because it's like this. Like, um, I don't debate with my wife, okay? It's not interesting because I just try to live. Right. I, and I don't bring up controversial stuff with my nuclear family. I intentionally, because it's just, it's cantankerous. It's cacophonous it's not doesn't the juice isn't worth the squeeze that's right that's right i like that that was good brought it back to your rules man and that was good that was a slick little plug <laughs> so the 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 issue is this is 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 yet still we have to um we have to um we have to we're, we're seeking activists because we're seeking to modify the system so that it functions in a manner that is consistent with our intentions and our intuitions right and it's like and we're convinced that it's not operating in that fashion yes and, and it's like the the though how do we that we are obligated to to uh make the institutions perform according to their the standards that we wish to hold them to we have to do that, otherwise we have thrown in the towel and we're not we're we are abdicating. Yes, and that's part of my frustration with Republican politics and conservative movement and sure. so we just we quit on all those things. We don't even care about that. We just go like this. It's like we go, we provide the roadmap how to make it work. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, my... Oh, go ahead. Well, we're just trying to provide a roadmap so that uh, a viable course of action that can be taken by people who think like us that want to make sure that things operate in a manner that is consistent with the way we think the world should operate. Yes. And, and eliminate those things that are causing problems within the civil stru structure, civil framework, right? So one of Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals, nothing in politics moves unless it's pushed. Huh. And so uh, who, who pushes? Activists. Right. And so, uh, you know, this is one of my complaints about the legal or, or academia in general, and to a lesser degree, thank goodness, academia in uh, the legal realm is, you know, we hear conservatives say all the time, oh, the, you know, the universities are completely taken over and there's all these bad ideas and oh, we're just getting pilloried and intellectually and academically. It's like, how, how is it 
possible. I mean, obviously there could be institutional and, uh, you know, exponential growth and all these other factors that could play in, but how on earth is it possible that the left supplies like three quarters of our intelligentsia? Well, it requires the majority of normal people who go academia is for the birds, screw them. And then it just is like this self-fulfilling prophecy where we have abdicated academic fields. And now uh, which Supreme Court justice would you say was uh, educated under the tutelage of a non-consequentialist professor? There might be one or two that went to Harvard that had uh, Dershowitz or whatever, but our, all of our Supreme Court justices, even with a 6-3 majority, they are imbued with uh, legal positivism and legal realism, which leads to consequentialist jurisprudence, which just means I'm going to rule based on the consequences, not based on the legal underpinnings. Understand you. And so that's, you know, I'm a big originalist, but I'm also not one of these people who thinks that originalism is necessarily the answer to consequentialist yeah. jurisprudence on the bench. So, so I think we, we need to back away from the law a little bit here. Okay. Because the audience is not so specialized. Sure. The, um, the, the, the premise here is like this though. I think, um, I think we can perhaps move forward in a direction that may be um, interesting um, to both of us, which is to say, um, perhaps we can generate the guidebook for action, right? Positive action in, the, in, a, in this critical state we are in, right? Does that sound like a reasonable course? Like yes. make a project or something like that, that is like how, how to guidebook for people like regular people, young people, especially because they're the, the young people are the ones that are uh, having the problem, the biggest problem right now, because it's like, what do I do? How do I make this work? Well, it's not only what do I do, but we have this proliferation of obvious obvious non-truth being promulgated as truth. And it's this erosion of uh, uh, insistence and belief in an object of truth. And so we've just, when you delete, when you destroy objectivity and truth, it's a hard thing to then say that the subjective truth is the truth unless it's coincidental. I'm trying to process that, man, because it's like, uh, I understand what you're saying. I think- um... Truth requires, Truth properly defined cannot be rooted in subjective, in the subjective. Else, truth has no universal meaning. Else, truth cannot be true. Right, right, and that's this goes to this deconstructionist nonsense, right? Yeah, and it's like mind. it's like um. So there's a, it, it's intersubjectively verifiability. Intersubjective verifiability is essential for what is. And whether it's objective or if it's uh, predicated upon a coherence of multiple subjectivity, subjective views, those function largely the same. So if something is true a priori, then it doesn't matter whether the truth is derived from the fact that it is a priori true or that party A and party B discussing that truth 
have intersubjectively agreed that that is true. So the intersubjective truth can also be objectively true, but it's not necessarily true that anything intersubjectively true is objectively true. But right. we use them as proxies for one and the same. Right. No, it kind of comes down to it's like uh, it's interesting because it's like what is the the social operability of language, right? Because it's yeah. like it's a close enough to the truth for our purposes at this time, right? It's like okay, and I, I can get my coffee now. Are we free to go? Am I free to go? <laughs> I got, take my I money. money. I've got my coffee. We're good, right? <laughs> it's like this. We, we're not having to do this, are we? I mean, I, I need to know right now. <laughs> the guy having a schizoid break in the, you know, by the counter is not a problem for me. My okay. And it, wait, I, I'll leave you to it. You guys can work it out. <laughs> this is no longer in, in my universe. <laughs> so, the, so, so it is. And it's like, uh, what I, what I find is, it is, is the, the, the alienation, I, I, and it goes to bad information, right? And sort of the bad information is like this. And so, and it's coming out of universities. I, I will has not hesitate to, to vilify them in some regard here, which is it's, they're, they're propagating a message. And I think propagating is a great term because it's like propaganda, which is uh, they're, they're propagating a message, which is normal is bad. And no, you're, you're being injured, you're being harmed by normal. Therefore, go raise hell everywhere you go. It's, it's even deeper than that because to exist in the world and to be able to properly like negotiate the world, you have to be, there has to be some element of that which I perceive to be true is true. Because if you never have anything that you can mm -hmm. perceive to be true as true, then how on earth can you possibly motivate, you know, it just becomes reductionist and totally non-negotiable situation. Um, and so it's, you're telling kids, all right, we're getting into the minefield, but I, I think this is not that controversial. I mean, we're telling kids that the observation that there are men and women and boys and girls, and you can, you can generally ascertain the difference with 99.9% .9 certainty, the, uh, the totally opposite view is being pushed right. that right. there are, that boys and girls are not only the same, but there's not even such a thing. Right, right. Your observations of reality that you're using to fill out this worldview that the adults have provided the sub superstructure of words and stuff and right. for, and you're trying to map out your lived experience as a freaking semi-conscious semi-formulated you know piece right, of right. there right and then you're so that's why i think it's even more fundamental and so it's like my mom will say why do you care it's like i don't care about transgender people individuals per se i think that they should be allowed to do whatever they want and if whatever they do makes them happy by God, please, you know, I'm about maximizing human happiness and uh, achievement. Right, right, um, right. But the deeper problem here is we're telling people and, and training kids from a young age that their mental faculties and their observational faculties are not suited to na right. navigate the, the world. Here is that we're, we're asking them to take leave of their senses. Right. It's like, that's not a good, that's a dissociative state. It's like, it's, it's it's, it's, I watched a very, I watched a very interesting um, video by a, um, 
I, I don't know if she's African-American, but black lady. And she gave a um, interesting talk. She was talking about being, uh, um, um, she thought everything in, in terms of this critical race theory. She went to college in the United States. She went to college in the United States. And she was, she, was, she, was judging, she was judging everything through the lens of race. And she's like this, she goes, she would sense the microaggression if someone looked at her funny on the street and it would ruin her day. Like, so it's so like this. So it's like, cause it's the attachment to, to this theory caused her harm. And then she quit. I think it's even deeper than that. I think the theory, so it's like, I've read not all, but a lot of Ibram X. Kendi's work and a lot of these critical race theorists and a lot of these critical theorists and anti-racism and stuff. <laughs> to me, it's like, if I, if I read Ibram X. Kendi's book without all the fanfare and puffy, puffery and stuff, it literally reads like the work of a, of, of a totally schizophrenic, paranoid mind. Everywhere he looks, even in the mirror as a black man who wants to help black people, he, he sees vicious racism. And right. so it's like, it's a deeply, deeply paranoid worldview for some people. And I believe that this, so, you know, people have threshold, I don't know enough, but basically if you increase the amount of stress in the system, like what causes schizoid breaks, there's some traumatic, a lot of the time there's some traumatic thing or the, the system, the, the system, the, you're, um, okay, I'm wrong. But anyway, that's a, that's a, um, I don't know how it's, I mean, let me, all right, let me say, let me say it in a less specific and more abstract way that is probably more concretely true. So if you raise if you raise the psychological disturbance yes. in a system, uh, it leads some people who are, you know, ceteris paribus wouldn't be as agitated and prone to like these negative emotions. If everybody's level of agitation is higher then it increases yeah. the available threshold of things. So anyway, it's like these people, everybody's in this hyper, stressed yeah. space we're seeing all these you know young girls killing themselves at like double the rate like because of social media. the whole system is is permeated with over uh, with excessively high negative emotion and then so then people are more susceptible to believe that which confirms their uh what is causing their negative emotion and so it's like i feel all this negative emotion my life sucks and i've got a simple explanation here that white supremacy yes and so it, you know, now I see white supremacy everywhere. And so if I'm irritated all day, it becomes a lot easier to see somebody, you know, just glancing over their shoulder as like some racist, personally offensive and attacking act. Right. And so, and, and, and it's like, they, they say these strange things, which is like, oh, words are violence, right? Right. And it's like, oh, I understand it. Cause it's like, it hurts me literally hurts them if they hear the word because it's like they get they get this hyper activated sensibility they're, but they're, i regard they're it as it's alienation and it's driven for political purposes in my opinion which the more the more irritated and activated and more friction the people cause when people don't go the way you want to go it's not civil interaction so it's always intentional non-cooperation right I'm always caught between, uh, you know, I, I, I abhor univariate explanations and stuff. So when it's like, uh, you know, they're doing it for political purposes, it's like I would absolutely agree that there is a large school of thought on the radical left 
that pushes this destabilization, you know, internecine warfare, uh, us versus them type stuff. But I also think that there are societal causes that are exacerbating or running parallel to yes. uh, intentional efforts. And so back to the, the greater point here, which is, you know, what do we do? It's like, if you look at the left, they've been theorizing about how to whether or not anyone is actually doing it right now, and I'm not pointing fingers at any actual actors or anything, but if you just look through the, the texts and, the, and you follow the ideological development of the continental tradition versus the Enlightenment people, so that's like yeah, yeah. You measure stuff versus there is no stuff, why are you using words? Um, and so basically we end up in a place where uh, the left has been studying how to the left has been studying how to do this and they've developed you know a, a whole litany of different theories about how to push culture but it seems like the conservatives like we're trying to conserve what we were doing 20 years ago to fight these people and they've moved on to the 20 you know they've they've advanced chronologically and strategically 20 years and we're trying to conserve the previous methods of behavior that have not only already been routed, but have been proven to not work in the past. So how on earth could you apply them in the future? And so I say all this, it's like, I don't know that there's like, okay, here's the 10 rules for saving the Republic. Like, I don't know about that. Like here, you know, but no. I do think that uh, a serious, you can't beat a plan with no plan. That's right. That's another rule, man. I like that. Another one of rules, rules. And it's like, right now, the right is completely reactionary. Mm. That's why I'm suggesting, I think we make a project, you and me, we'll make a project to generate a uh, plan of action, like a general plan of action, right? For engagement to uh, rectify the situation in a civil manner, right? I think that that's a good start. And to give everybody should be able to, to find a place inside there where they can comfortably fit and be productive in that regard. And we can, we can generate a, 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 like a book or something like that. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't know what the, you know, if it's a 10 step program or whatever, the 12 step, you know, recovering conservatives, anonymous, whatever. <laughs> uh, but it's like, I think that what, the obvious and best place for anyone to start uh, and you don't need any sort of central directive or anyone putting a huge amount of intellectual effort into coming up with the plan at at root every plan is based on the action of the individuals involved and so right. as an individual i think like one of the first and most important things to do is all conservatives and republicans and you know what normies or whatever need to realize that social media is not real there you go that's a good rule right there. I'm not putting it in my rules because that's a media, different, that's a different, that's a different domain. Thing. Different domain. Is, we're not going there. Just so uh, the audience knows my rules are about political campaigning and okay. you know, right. geared towards underdogs and beating money and stuff. But um, some of them are true uh, across the board, but I'm not going to put social media is not real in there because social media is an important tool. But, uh, other than the informational flows, which may or may not be obviously necessary from like the comments and the shares and stuff, uh, the responses by the people to the information are not real. Right. 
And so if I'm a CEO and some staffer walks in and says, hey, you know, Pootie Poo number 616-22426 with the panda bear with zero followers and 37 tweets, they said that, you know, Zach's steak company is just full of racists and they have to like stop serving steaks at the steakhouses because steak is racist. You know, oh my God, it's the, the search. I would fire that person immediately who brought it to me. And I'd say everybody else, I don't want to hear about this sort of stuff unless they're actual people with actual pitchforks actually outside the door. Then the anger's real. Until then, you've got a person who is at worst or at best uh, re reflexively mad and venting. And at worst, you have a coordinated, uh, you know, cynical attempt to manipulate behavior by masking one's strength. And so it's like the number one thing that, you know, conservatives and liberals, politicians, activists, anyone can do is like realize that social media is not freaking reality. Right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to work on this plan of action as a course of, of forward going here for, for uh, I like that plan. Then you see, we've created a, a, we generated an impulse that we can act upon and we can move into forward going, right? A collaborative effort. I like that. So I guess uh, this book would be sort of like uh, the keystone and then world's rules of politics is an iteration. So if you want to enter the political field and not screw up, you do this. And obviously the rules aren't the same over here because social media isn't yeah. real over here, but it's pretty important over here. And that's um, right. Yeah, that's it's right. Like, here's the here's the keystone. And then we'll build. Oh, here's what you do as a lawyer. Here's what you do. Right, right, right. <laughs> I like it. Right. It's a, we'll make a whole little like a library match set. Right. Just a beautiful little box. <laughs> Just and it's like uh, the Ghostbusters book. So it's like, if dealing with a political problem, go to volume 36. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Best Medicine Podcast with Bradley H. Werrell, D.O. Don't forget to hit like and subscribe below, either over there or over there. Also, if you're interested in a medical consultation with myself, there's also information below.